0: Anybody here on Groupon, raise your hand if you're on Groupon, raise them proudly if you're on Groupon. Very few of you, not all that many of you. I get the weekly Groupon emails, do you get the the Groupon, see this is why I don't want to just send you an email because once, you know, I don't want to take advantage and now I get the, the Groupon emails every week. Now if you open those emails, a lot of the stuff in those Groupon emails looks pretty enticing. I've been getting them for about a year now. Um, I just never pushed the plug on buying anything. Now I, lo- I know lots of you have had good luck with gr- Groupon's. You know I- I've heard about the massage treatments and the-, the hair removal and all of that stuff that you can get good deals on on Groupon. And so uh, I get these Groupon's and and finally a few weeks ago, as I was, I got my we- every week I get it and I go, ah, I should look and just see. So a couple weeks ago I looked and I'm looking through the weekly email and there is this pair of shoes, and it's. Anybody ever bought a pair of shoes on Groupon? And so I'm looking at the shoes, and I'm going, those are some really nice shoes. And they were $29. And I'm going, $29 for for that pair of shoes? And so if you know, you click through, and you go to the website, and then you can look at the the shoes. And it's got the little magnifying glass thing. And so I'm clicking on the shoes, and I'm looking to try to figure out, why are these shoes $29? They they look awful nice. But I, I couldn't find anything wrong with them. I thought, well, it's $29. How bad could they be? So I made the plunge. You know, I pushed the button. And I don't know if you're like me, like I don't buy a ton of stuff online so I still get that exhilaration factor a little bit when I push the button like, you know, I'm going to get something now, you know, and you kind of wait at home and, uh, and so we pulled up the one day and there it is, here it is, Joan will hand it to me, I saw sitting in my driveway this little baby right here. And I was like a kid at Christmas time because my new shoes had finally arrived, right? And so I I hopped out of the car, I ran into the house, I don't remember who was with, with me in the car that day, but I walked in and you know, if you know John, John likes to get a good deal. So I'm giving my kids and my wife this whole speech about, listen, Joan, you really need to be more like me. Um, because it's silly, it's silly to pay retail for shoes, only suckers pay retail. Do you know what I paid for this pair of shoes I'm about to introduce you to? I can't believe it. And so I'm going on and on, I thought about maybe instituting a new rule in the house. From this point forward, in the Eisman household, thou shalt not buy any shoe other than from Groupon. Because I had found my shoe. And all this was going on in my head, and I opened up that big green box, and I pulled out the cheapest, stiffest, most completely cardboard, synthetic, plastic pair of shoes that anybody ever tried to pass off as footwear. I mean, it was horrifying. Just holding these shoes, they were so hard and stiff and plastic, I, I, I literally I did not put them on because I looked at them and said these would hurt to put my feet in, and so it was a little bit embarrassing. And I thought, well, you know, these are going to have to go back. And uh, uh, about a week later, I left them sitting on a counter. About a week later, my son John comes home. He lives in Manhattan, and he walks in and they're still sitting there. And he picks picks it up and he goes, "What the heck is this?" And I said that's a new pair of shoes I bought. And he's like, you have got to send these back. You can't wear these shoes. They're like plastic. I said, yeah, I know, I gotta send them back. And so I learned something else about Groupon, um, which is you have a very limited window of opportunity to return a Groupon. And so here they are right here. Um, (laughs) I put these on this morning and I'm in, I, I had not, never put them on till this morning, so I want you to know I, have, I am suffering for Christ up here with you for this, this object lesson. I have picked up my cross and put it on my feet, and, uh, and I'm staggering through this. I, I don't even know in worship. I had to sit down for a while because I couldn't stand up anymore in these shoes. When my wife came this morning, she was dying because she can't believe I put these shoes on. That's how bad they are. They don't look that bad. I'll let you feel them afterwards, and you'll agree with me. Now, <laughs> Joan said they don't look that good either. But anyway, so now everybody has had this experience in life with one thing or another. Maybe it was a used car, right? You saw it online, but then you got to the lot and you're like, "Whoa." Um, maybe it was was a vacation rental, right? Have you done the vaca- the verba or the home away, right? And you, you saw it online and and you book it and you get there 4 months later in the summer and you're like, whoa, like, this does not look like anything like it did in the pictures. Maybe it was an online date, you know, you you booked it, and when you got there, you know, it didn't look anything like the Bumble photo that you had seen earlier in the week. You know, those things happen. And, and when it's a cheap, when it's a $29 pair of shoes, it's not that big a deal. I mean, when it's a date, you could probably laugh that off later. But it can be so much more devastating and and eternal and important when it's about matters of faith and belief and certainty and so with my experience with these shoes in mind i i, I want to talk to you today about a second opinion about faith and what following jesus is supposed to look like because i think you were probably like me sold something and when you got the bag of the bag when you when you started to follow it looked a lot different than maybe you had been told now here's the truth if you get nothing else out of this talk i want you to understand this almost all of us when it comes to christianity have been sold a bill of goods we've been told something about becoming a christian that at some point in our lives was so attractive to us at least given the alternative that was presented that at some point many of us made a conscious decision To pray a prayer or to get in the water or to come forward to the the front of the church and make a commitment to following Jesus because of the benefits that were attached to following Jesus. I know I did. When I became a Christian, I did not become one to be a follower of Jesus or because I loved God. Those were not the primary reasons. Okay, I'm just going to be very honest with you. I became a Christian for two reasons. I, I fell in love with a really good-looking girl that would not date me unless I was a Christian. So that was kind of a no-brainer for me out of the gate. And then, and then when, when I was told the gospel, or at least when, when the gospel was represented partially to me, the partial piece of the gospel that was explained to me was this. If you accept Jesus, you will go to heaven. And if you don't, exp- if you don't accept Jesus into your heart and pray this prayer, you will go to hell. Well, who's not going to pray that prayer? right? And so I came to Jesus because the girl was hot and so was hell. <laughs> you know, I just made that up right now as I was going through that. I swear. Just, just came to me. You can meme that later. Here's what I learned today at Mendham Hills. I came to Jesus because the girl was hot and so was hell. Anyway, we... <laughs> I don't know how I keep this job. Um... <laughs> So, that's what I did. That was the proposition made to me. That Jesus came to die for my sins, and if that I would believe in him, I would go to heaven. And if I didn't believe in him, and if I didn't pray a prayer a certain way, then I would go to hell. And so, if all it took was a prayer, I mean, if that's all it is, I'm in. Count me in. I mean, who wouldn't be in? I've grown to understand a lot more about the gospel. When I had kids, I, I... didn't want them to be kind of sold a bag of goods about Jesus a little bit maybe. And so um, I had all in my mind all of these times we were going to have these long talks about Jesus and I would want them to fully understand what, the commitment they were making to God and following him. And uh, so our kids were going to a, a Christian school at the time and uh, m- my son John was four years old and he was in kindergarten and uh, I showed up to pick him up one, one day after school and the teacher came out to me and she said, Mr. Eisman, we have great news. John accepted Christ today. And I, I was kind of frustrated because I had all these plans for how I was going to introduce my son to the gospel. And I'm, I, I was like, John would have accepted a bologna sandwich today if you had told him that this was, you know, what he needed to do to go to heaven. Now, I, I, obviously, I don't mean to demean coming to Christ as a child. And Eric just shared how dramatic, uh, uh, non-dramatic his testimony was. So I do think God honors that. But here was the deal. I didn't come to Christ because I wanted to follow him. I came to Jesus because of what I thought he could do for me. In the initial case, it was the thought that it would get me out of hell. In fact, here is what I would argue. Please don't put yourself above this. I think I can show, that, show you that it's an issue for, for you. We all come to God as consumers. Every one of us. Now there's truth to many of the promises that w- that we have come for. It is by faith that we're saved from eternal separation from God through the work of Jesus on, beh- on our behalf. That is true. It is true that even if you don't believe Jesus is divine, even if you just say, well, I think he might have been a good teacher, the, tra- the, the fact is following Jesus does have benefits. I mean, if you do what he said to do, you will be a better mother or father. You will be a better husband or wife. You will be a better employee. You will have peace in times of trouble. I mean, for me, I came to follow Jesus in college, and faith did help me to keep me out of certain troubles that you would run into in college. It didn't help me overcome certain temptations in, in my life, in my relationships. But if I'm honest, it was and still is sometimes. All about what, about me and what I can get from God. What God is there to provide me with. Here's what I want you to see. Don't put yourself above this. Here's, here's a real important truth. Because all of Jesus' followers start this way and not a lot of them ever leave it. All of us come as consumers and very few of us move on to being a follower. So last week we looked at what this doctor, Luke, said about temptation. You should check that out online. It's, It's pretty fascinating in terms of the three temptations that are common to man. If you were there, you know in the story, Jesus was led off into the desert, 40 days of temptation. He overcomes them. Some of it is by knowing his story and knowing his story. Uh, That's why I want you to know the scripture. That's why you should bring those cards at a welcome center and start getting the scripture into your heart. Okay, so Jesus returns from the temptation. Dr. Luke picks up the story. Are you ready? All right, that's not bad. We'll move in. Luke chapter 4, verse 14. Jesus returned to Galilee in the power of the Spirit and news about him spread through the whole countryside. He was teaching in their synagogues and everyone praised him. Who was liking Jesus at this moment? Everybody. Everybody. I mean, you know, think about it, right? Triumphant in temptations, he comes into Galilee and news is starting to get around town. Remember that whole voice from the heavens? This is my son in whom I am well pleased. You know, stuff like that starts to happen. You start to get a rap around the village. And then Jesus, the scripture teaches us in various other places. He's teaching in the temple and we know that he taught with authority in ways that no one had ever taught before. So you combine those two things. You got voices coming from heaven saying, this is my son. And you got a guy that shows up and he can speak and teach like no one's ever spoken or taught before. And to a people, you combine those things to a people who have been, the Israelites, who have been under one brutal dictatorship after another for their entire history. You combine those things for a people who were waiting for a Messiah, who were waiting for a a prophesized, anointed one of God that was going to lead them. You combine those things and the people start to, well, they start to speak well of you. Because they start to buy in, they start to think he might be the one. Today might be the day. Israel, after all these generations, we might be able to be set free. And not even just that. Maybe things would be turned upside down. Maybe, maybe Rome would be punished and we would get what we deserve. And man, when you're thinking that way, I mean, everybody loves Jesus. And so Dr. Luke continues in the story. It says that he went to Nazareth, speaking of Jesus, where he had been brought up. And on the Sabbath day, he went into the synagogue, as was his custom, and he he stood up to read, and the scroll of the prophet Isaiah was handed to him, unrolling it. Isaiah was a prophet, and he, 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 he prophesied about what the coming Messiah would look like. Unrolling it, he found the place where it is written, The Spirit of the Lord is on me, because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners and recovery of sight for the blind and to set the oppressed free and to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. And then he rolled up the scroll scroll and he gave it back to the attendant, and he sat down. The eyes of everyone in the synagogue were fastened on him. And then he began to teach them, saying, Today this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. And so Jesus goes into his hometown. He goes into his people, into a city. Now, if you know anything about Nazareth in the New Testament, Nazareth was like a town, you know, kind of, there's a Springsteen line, a town full of losers, and we're pulling out here to win. That was Nazareth. It was a town full of losers. When, When Jesus was said to have come from Nazareth, people said, Nazareth, can anything good come out of Nazareth? And so here comes Jesus, their boy, and there's a buzz about him. He heads into the temple, and you have to imagine they're pretty excited about what this boy from their hometown is up to. We love when the hometown boy does good. If you drive from here on Route 206 into Mount Olive, um, you see the sign, Welcome to Mount Olive, as you go down 206. If you look right underneath it, it says the home of 2016 Olympian whatever. I can't remember the girl's name. but. (laughs) But here's what I know about Mount Olive. There's an Olympian that lives there. And so the the folks from Nazareth are going, look at our boy. We're going to put a sign up. Nazareth, the home of Jesus. That's what hometowns do. And so Jesus, he goes into the temple and he reads this prophecy from this Old Testament book, Isaiah, concerning the anointed one that was going to come for Israel. And Jesus closes by essentially saying, you're right, I am the one. But in identifying what he was doing, he actually does something that you are likely not aware of. I wasn't. I never heard this taught before. It's actually quite fascinating. But the crowd likely understood because the crowd knew the prophecies of the Anointed One. They had been waiting for generations for the Anointed One. So they understood what Isaiah had taught about him. Did you know when Jesus identifies himself here, he actually stops in the middle of the prophecy mid-sentence? He does not finish what Isaiah said of the prophet. He stops, and his audience would have understood that. You and I read it, and we don't. Here's what Isaiah actually said. Isaiah said, The spirit of the sovereign Lord is on me. This is is what the Messiah would be saying. Because the Lord has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim freedom for the captives, and release from darkness for the prisoners. See, so far Jesus is right on, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor, and this is where Jesus stops. But Isaiah says, and the vengeance of our God, the day of vengeance of our God. Now, if you remember, see the people in Israel, they weren't just hoping for the year of the Lord's favor. Everybody likes that, because that means I'm going to get what I have coming to me, which is all good. But the people in Israel, they were waiting for the day of the Lord's vengeance, too, because they wanted Rome and everybody else to get what they had coming to them. Don't you love to see other people get what they have coming to them? We love it. See, I read your Facebook posts. I know you love it, too. Right? We chalk it up to karma or, you know, everything works out in the end and payback and all the rest. And this is what the Israelites were hoping for. They were hoping for the year of the Lord's favor. They were going to get what they had coming. And they were hoping for the day of vengeance because then everybody who had made fun of them about believing in one God and doing all this stuff, they were going to get theirs. So why didn't Jesus finish the sentence? The reason is because there's this mystery about his coming, namely that it is a two-act drama. The Old Testament prophets, they had seen the drama as a whole, They didn't separate these two acts by centuries. They anticipated salvation and judgment together. The year of liberation and the day of the vengeance, they would be one. And they couldn't wait because they were going to get a reward and all the bad people, they were going to get punished. All the people that didn't act like them and look like them, they were going to get it. See, Jesus, he's so much different than we think. Here's what he said as captured by uh, the gospel writer, John. Jesus said, if anybody hears my sayings and does not keep them, get ready. Let me just, let me just read that again because I, I know what you're thinking. Here's what Jesus says in the gospel of John. He says, if anybody hears my sayings and does not keep them, okay, you, I know what you're thinking. Here's what Jesus said. I do not judge him. For I didn't come to judge the world, but to save the world. You see, he who rejects me and doesn't receive my sayings has a judge. The word that I have spoken will be his judge on the last day. The first coming of Jesus ushers in this acceptable year of the Lord. It's a space in time for salvation and not judgment. Judgment would come later. It wouldn't come now. And for some in the audience, this was disappointment number one. Oh, Jesus, I thought you were our boy. Oh, man, these shoes, they looked awful good online. There's no arch support in these things. This Messiah, ah, he's a little gentler than we hoped. He's a little more gracious than I would have liked. But heck, he's still our boy. I mean, he's still from Nazareth. Maybe the Romans aren't going to get what they're due now. But Jesus is our boy. I mean, he's going to take care of us. I mean, Mary, I mean, a house around a block. Mary's here. His family's around. Maybe maybe Nazareth is going to be the center of a a new kingdom. So Luke continues, All spoke well of him. Who spoke well of him? They all loved him again. All spoke well of him. And they were amazed at his gracious words that came from his lips. Isn't this Joseph's son, they asked? This is our boy. Jesus said to them, the scripture's so good, right? This is such a great story. Jesus looks at them and he goes, here's what I know you're going to do. You're going to quote this proverb to me in a minute. Physician, heal yourself. And you're going to tell me, do here in your hometown what we heard that you did in Capernaum. I mean, wouldn't, wouldn't we do that? I mean, you're our boy, Jesus. Remember our days back at Nazareth High? I mean... I heard about what you were doing over there in Capernaum. I mean, it's like the West Mar Central Mendham High School thing. I heard what you did over at Mendham High. I can't wait to see what you're going to do here at Central. Jesus, you remember me? Like, I, you know, I used to change your diaper in the, in the temple, in the temple nursery. Jesus, you remember me, right? Jesus, I taught you third grade. You know, I was your third grade teacher, you remember? Jesus, you remember we went to prom together at Nazareth, right? I know the breakup was a little messy, but you know that we have the prom pictures and everything. I mean, we're all from Nazareth, right? This is our day. It's the day of the Lord's favor, and we're from your hometown. And here's what Luke says, Jesus said. He looks around his hometown, he goes, Truly, I tell you that no prophet is accepted in his hometown. We pluck that verse out all the time and don't really use it for its right meaning because here's what it meant. He said, I need to remind you of something. I assure you that there were many widows in Israel in Elijah's time when the sky was shut for three and a half years and there was a severe famine throughout the land. Yet Elijah wasn't sent to any of them, but to a widow in Zarephath in the region of Sidon. Wait, what? See, just like last week, Jesus reaches back into the story of his people. He knows his story, he knows the word, and he quotes this Old Testament story to show them something that literally in one moment is going to start a massive riot. He pulls this story out of an Old Testament book called 1 Kings chapter 17 about God's passing over all of the Jews to bring a miraculous blessing to a foreign Gentile from the land of Sidon. And he does it blatantly and forcefully. He doesn't soften it. He doesn't try to explain it. He just goes, hey guys, you know that story? Remember, there was a lot of widows in Israel and God, he didn't do anything for any of them. He chose a foreigner to bless. Now, just to make sure they understood where he was coming from, he says, And there were many in Israel with leprosy in the time of Elisha the prophet, and yet not one of them was cleansed, only Naaman the Syrian. That's from 2 Kings chapter 5. The point is this. All of the people that God could have chosen to heal of leprosy, all of the Jewish folks that would have deserved, or at least in their mind thought they deserved to be chosen, instead God chose a foreign king, a Syrian, not a Jew. Now, I mean, when you put the sign up in front of the neighborhood, this Jesus, you know, he's from Nazareth, he's one of our boys. When you have hopes and dreams and all of a sudden, the hometown hero looks like he's not going to come through, those Old Testament stories, they were not lost on the crowd. And so, beginning in verse 28, all the people, who? All of them all the same the same exact people that loved him moments ago the same exact people that loved him moments ago all the people in the synagogue were furious when they heard this they got up and they drove him out this is crazy they got up they drove him out of the town get out of nazareth and they took him to the brow of the hill on which the town was built in order to throw him off the cliff why Because this is not the pair of shoes I wanted. I thought I was getting something else. This, upon closer examination, this doesn't look like the picture that I painted. I thought I was going to be in charge. I thought Nazareth was going to be the place. This doesn't sound like that. And here's, here's lesson number one. Please understand, all of us come to Christ as consumers. Few of us ever move on past that. Introspectum, introspective moment. Don't put yourself above it. Let me show you. It is true of all of the great followers of Jesus. Remember Peter, Petros, upon this rock I will build my church. If you're from the Roman Catholic faith tradition, right? Peter's kind of like the first in the line of succession of popes of the church. Remember, we just finished up Easter when Jesus is heading in Jerusalem and he looks over at Peter and he starts to say, hey, Peter, I want to let you know what's going to happen here. When we get down to Jerusalem, they're going to hand me over and I'm going to be crucified. And Peter looks and he goes, okay, let's see how this is going to play out now. If you get handed over and you're crucified, I think that I'm likely to get handed over and I'm going to be crucified. So if you remember, he looks at at Jesus and he goes, no, 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 whoa, whoa, whoa. Things are going good. Don't do that. What are you... Yeah, that's not, in fact, this is exactly what he says. He says, never, Lord, this will never happen. And do you know what Jesus says to him? Get behind me, Satan. You are a stumbling block to me. Listen to this. You do not have in mind the concerns of God, but merely human concerns. Some of you know, if you know the Bible, that there's another point. Jesus is teaching on how hard it is for rich people to get in heaven. Not because God doesn't love rich people, because so often rich people don't really feel the need to come towards God. And Peter, you know, he's standing there and he's listening to all this, and you can hear Peter going, that's right, because the rich don't want to give up their stuff, so they'll often stay far from God. But he starts going, yeah, you know, I gave up my stuff, right? And so after people leave, Matthew chapter 19, Peter goes, yeah, let me, let, me, let me talk to Jesus about this. He goes, Jesus, we left everything to follow you. What then will there be for us? What's in it for me? Why does Peter say these things? Why is Jesus so stern with them? At the end, when Jesus gets arrested, why do they all abandon him and walk away? Why is there nobody left? Because Peter is a consumer. He didn't end up a consumer. After Jesus was raised from the dead and he saw him, He changed his ways. But Peter, like you and me, started out as a consumer. Peter had plans and dreams. Nazareth, the people, they had plans and dreams. Here's what nobody told me about this Jesus. His self-confessed mission was not to fulfill my dreams of me getting mine and making sure that they got theirs. That is not the mission. That is not what he is up to. You might have got sold some bad shoes. See, Jesus, understand this. Jesus came not to be a bit player in building your kingdom. Jesus came inviting you into and to play a role in building his. Huge difference. Big teaching. Everybody struggles with this teaching. This is why Jesus said, I will be a stumbling block. Remember John? Last name Baptist, right? He baptizes Jesus. He hears the voice from the clouds. This is my son. Do you know, do you remember the story here to Christmas? Mary's pregnant with Jesus. She goes to Elizabeth. Elizabeth is pregnant with John. When Mary walks into the house, John, is so, John in utero knows who Jesus is. He, the scripture says he leaps in utero at just Mary coming in with the preg- pregnant with Jesus. And so you know John, he probably had some plans. I mean, yeah, he probably looks and goes, yeah, he seems to be hanging out with Peter. and and James and John a lot, but blood's thicker than water. I'm sure pretty much at some point he's going to come back for me and, and, and I'll get raised up in this. But something happened along the way about following this Jesus. He winds up in jail, a Roman jail, and he winds up on death row in that Roman jail. And while John is sitting in prison, his cousin Jesus, do you know what Jesus is out doing? He's out doing exactly what he said he had come to do He's touching and teaching and feeding and healing. And so John's disciples, they go back to him in the prison. They say, hey, um, chapter 7. John's disciples told him about all these things Jesus was doing. And and so he calls two of them together and he sent them to the Lord to ask, are you you the one who is to come or should we expect someone else? What happened? He knew in utero. He heard the voice on the river. What changed his mind? Because Jesus wasn't coming through for him. He, he, he wasn't rich. He wasn't experiencing his best life now. Are you the one that's to come, or should we expect something else? And so when the men came to Jesus, they said, John the Baptist sent us to ask you, are you the one who's to come, or should we expect someone else? Wait, Jesus, Rome still seems to be in charge. They don't seem to be getting theirs, and I'm not getting mine. Am I, am I, I'm sitting in one of their Prisons. And I love how Jesus answers him because he goes right back to what he told the hometown folks in Nazareth about who he was. At that very time, Jesus cured many who had diseases, sicknesses, and evil spirits, and he gave sight to many who were blind. He's doing exactly what he said he would do. And so he replied to the messengers, go back and report to John what you have seen and heard. The blind receive sight, the lame walk, those who have leprosy are cleansed, the deaf hear, the dead are raised, and the good news is being proclaimed to the poor. And then he said something very profound that needs to be said and heard by every consumer like Peter and John and Pastor John. Jesus says to consumers like you and me, blessed is anyone who does not stumble on account of me. Because it's also confusing. See, Jesus doesn't seem to hate the Romans. He didn't seem to be judging them or punishing them. In fact, when one of the centurions, Roman guards, comes and asks for a favor, the disciples sneer and Jesus goes, sure, I'll help. When Jesus is putting the band together, when he's bringing the disciples on board, he includes Matthew, a tax collector, someone who had sided with Rome and oppressed his people. Peter and John and everyone in Nazareth, they all had agendas and plans. They all wanted Jesus to be busy working with them on their agendas. See, I have a plan, I have an agenda, I have hopes and dreams for my kingdom, and I'm trying to build my kingdom, and I came, here's the truth, church, about your pastor, I came to follow Jesus because I thought he would help me work on my agenda and build my kingdom, and maybe you did too. We all do it. Maybe you're in church this morning because you're thinking, well, you know, I haven't been to church in a while, and things aren't going that well for me. Maybe if I go to church, you know, God... I'm here, God. Put an extra 20 in this week. You know, maybe you'll notice. and Maybe that's the way it works, right? Like, uh, maybe you'll bless me. We, we think this way because we come to God as consumers. And here's the point. It's a big point. You really, I, you really need to get this. At some point in your life, there is going to come a conflict between God's plan for your life and your plan for your life. God's will and your will. God's hopes and dreams for you and this world and your hopes and dreams for your world. It will happen. And here's the question that gets asked, what happens for you when there is a conflict between my will and thy will? What will you do? In those moments of disappointment or challenge or conflict, These moments, which really for our faith are defining moments for us, we have to choose whether we are just merely a consumer of religious goods or are we a follower of Jesus. Now many of us grew up with this belief that about God, which is just not true. That he's kind of like our hip pocket God, kind of like our genie God. God, you know, I need you in school at test time. But God, you are not permitted to come on spring break this year, because I can sense that there might be a conflict in Panama City somewhere along the way. God, I need you to help me close this business deal. God, I know there's verses in the Bible about, you know, a man and his family and eating. I need you to help me close this deal, but God, you are not permitted to come on this business trip. There's a lot of lonely people in the hotel bar. God, just help me close the business to you. I'll take it from here. You see, if you're serious about Jesus over time, you will have conflict moments for you. They are defining moments in your faith. You will realize that a time will come where what you want and what God wants for you are conflicting. There are conflicting agendas about your life and about his purpose. The truth is just like Peter and, and James and John. I want him to be about blessing me, about helping me build my kingdom. I want him working on getting me the girl or, or the job or the car or the house and the retirement account. Here's the thing about God. He's not building my kingdom. For some reason, he seems bent on preaching good news to the poor and healing for the sick. And over time, the building of those kingdoms are going to clash. Have anybody ever felt this? When you have to go from consumer to follower and you feel the war rage inside you. You know you should go. I should go home. I really want to stay. I know I should stay here right now, but I think I want to go. I know I shouldn't take that job. I know what it's going to do to me and my family. I, I, I know what it would have, but the money is good. You know, I know that he's, I know that he's not the, the man you'd have for me, but he's really cute. I remember, I remember when I felt the first time I came uh, to, to understand Christ, um, and I didn't want to go to hell, and, and I liked the girl, and so I was all in, right, until I was a sophomore at Rutgers. I remember that at the first service. I was a freshman. who was a sophomore. I was a sophomore at Rutgers. Man, you want to talk about a crummy time to find Jesus, sophomore at, at Rutgers, at, you know, in college? I mean, that's not a best case scenario. And uh, I just remember thinking, boy, geez, wouldn't it have been great if I could have just put this off till I was 60, you know? And, uh, <laughs> right? I mean, don't we do that? And I remember one night, the, you know, the party was raging and the girls were there and all the rest and I was on the third or fourth floor at Hardenberg Hall. And I've told somebody this story before and I found myself in the fire escape stairway crying because there was a war raging in my soul about which way I was gonna go. I mean, I just wanted Jesus to help me pick up the girl. I didn't really want him to say, no, 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 I have have other things for you. You need to come follow me. What do you do? It's a defining moment in your life. I was counseling some folks in our church with a marriage issue this week, and I was trying to teach them the key to making your marriage work is to bring the gospel into it, but here's what the gospel demands. The gospel always demands that something die so something new might live. And so I was saying to the husband, are you ready to die so that your wife's dreams and hopes and plans might live? And I said to the wife, are you willing to die so that your husband's dreams and plans and hopes might live? And they both said, yes. And then I let them talk for two more minutes and I said, see, the answer really is no. Because it's hard See, here's the thing. Here's the prayer. It's so funny because I, I said this to them on, on one, night, one day this week and then I saw it in a video later, th- later on in the week. Here's the prayer that you want to say. In fact, that w- at one point somebody in the scripture says it to Jesus um, in terms of wanting more faith. Here's what you should be praying. Lord, I want what you want more than what I want. And that couple that I met with this week knew that. But after five minutes more of discussion, you could see they were just starting to get back to, yeah, but here's the problem. Here's what he said. Here's what she said. Here's what they did. I said, guys, 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 okay, whoa, whoa, you need to have a new prayer. Here's, here's where people like you and I need to start. Consumers like you and I, we need to start with this prayer. God, I want to want what you want more than I want what I want. Because I'm not there yet. I'm dishonest to say, God, I want what you want more than what I want, where we need to start in those moments, in those defining moments where the conflict arises, where suddenly the kingdom of God is coming against the kingdom of man, we're coming against my kingdom. Can we stop in those moments and go, God, please help me because I want to want, I don't want it, but I, right, I, I want to want it. I want to want what you want more than what want what I want. Kind of fun to say. So as the band comes up, here's the deal from Dr. Luke, guys. If you feel like this Christian thing is not working out for you because, man, these shoes are not what I thought I was getting, here's the second opinion on on your Christianity from Dr. Luke. Jesus came not to judge them and bless us. Jesus came inviting us to join him in being good news and blessings to all of us. So the question is, in your life, in these, in these years you've been given, will you keep treating Jesus like a hip pocket God that's here to help you build your kingdom? The question is, what will you do with the days of good news before the day of vengeance? Because there is a day of vengeance. There is a day where there's separation from God and those that don't know God. But we're not called to be, we're not called to be a people cheering it on we're called to be people who are working with God, loving like God loves, dropping our agendas and our kingdoms in an attempt to help him build his. I, I, I just want to give you one last tidbit. So many people have said to me over the years, how come I don't experience any power in my life? I feel like I've been following God, but you know, I pray and I don't seem to get what I want. I don't really sense that there's anything different about me or anything going on in my life. Here's why. Because if your life is bent on merely praying to build your kingdom, God is not, he's not intent on building your kingdom. You tap into resurrection power, you tap into the miraculous when you join God doing what he's doing in this world. Do you know how the story ends? They chase Jesus, the whole town, the whole town, all of them, remember all of them? They all chase him to a cliff. He's on the edge of the cliff over the city. Here's how the story ends, verse 30. But he walked right through the crowd. And he went on his way, because he had a kingdom to build. And if you're looking to tap into the miraculous power of God in your life, the real question is, will you and I move from being consumers to followers?